Morning, everybody. God bless Tennessee. Are y'all from Kentucky? Now, I was just down in Texas, and I say it all the time when I come here. I was just down in Texas, down in Corpus Christi, and a uh, great church. Known this pastor a long time. And his dad started the church, and he went to be with Jesus, and his mom took over and doubled it, and then he took over and doubled it. It's sort of a family tradition. But what I love about it, you say God bless Texas, I got to just back up for about 60 seconds because they'll just start screaming and shouting. They'll come out of their seat every time. I say, God bless Texas. They'll just erupt like I said, Jesus is here. And, uh, you know, God bless Tennessee. It's a good place to be. Uh, my son texted me late last night. I just got in bed. It's been a busy, busy week and uh, moved my girls back into the dorm yesterday for the last year of college. And we were all excited about that. One more year. And uh, my son just started his senior year. And uh, so anyhow, he's hanging out with his buddies. And uh, Old Roberts University is where he's at. And you have to take so many theology classes. I don't care what you're majoring in. They're, they're pushing you for Jesus. And so he called last night and says, a text. And I thought, well, who's texting me at midnight? And it was just right after midnight. So I said, Dad, Dad. He said, Dad, how, how, how do you pray and what do you pray for, for Israel and, and, and for, for the Jewish people? Well, what do you pray? How do you pray, you know? And so I text him back three scriptures, and all of a sudden he hit me again. So, well, what about ISIS and what's going on and all the people that are suffering and dying? So, how do you pray about that? So, I woke up. So, I just started hitting him. So, I'm on my sixth scripture. I'm pumping at him. He wrote me, Dad, Dad, that, that's, that's enough. I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep, and I'll get back with you tomorrow. <laughs> I love my kids. I love my family. You know, the whole idea behind church or family is to pass on your faith to the next generation. That's the most important thing you do. So uh, I'm going to read the passage to you that I was sharing last night because in dealing with my kids, I said, you know, the greatest thing on this planet is the local church. There's nothing alive outside the local church. It's what, it's what Jesus came to do, build the body of Christ. And I was listening to pastor series as I was driving in, and uh, I like that. If you're not part of the body, you're disconnected from the head. If you're disconnected from the head, you're not doing so good. And we have seen headless chickens, and they do run just for a little bit. <laughs> And that's it. <laughs> it's incredible. It's just that, no more. And so you cannot afford to get disconnected. And what I love Pastor was telling you was it's not just showing up and sitting down, it's participating. Every part of the body's got a purpose. God's got a plan for it. It needs to be effective. The happiest you are is when you're doing the most. If you're not doing anything, you're one depressed individual. We've all been through that. You got to get up and do something. Well, I'm just not feeling good. Well, get up and go help somebody. Find somebody going through more hell than you're going through and go help them. It's sowing and reaping. He said, how do you get out of the mess you're in? Find somebody else in the mess, go help them. Well, I'm broke. We'll go help somebody else that's broke. We'll do what? I don't know. Pick up some coins on the side of the road on the way. Pick up some tin cans, cash them in. Take them, get them a Big Mac. Do something. Sow some seed for somebody. And people look at you so funny. God knew what to do. That's why Pastor gave you all the opposite words, the paradox of the Scripture. And it is so good. So this is what I was sharing with my kids because... Um, my kids get together every Saturday morning on their own. I don't make them. They're adults. They bring their spouses. And my new grandson, I've got a new grandson, nine weeks old, so I'm finally on the other side. People say, you a grandparent yet? Nope. Nope. Got a lot of cows in the barn. Nobody's milking yet. <laughs> well, we finally got one milking, praise God. We're looking for some more. And so they get together on Saturday morning for three hours, every Saturday on their own, and they do, they do book studies. And uh, they're, a, they're one of our Bible studies out of church, so they just created one at my office, and they invite people over. But most all my kids are always there, and they do books. You know, what God's doing. I mean, how do you do this? How do you get better at this? They're going through Dave Ramsey, I think, for the third or fourth time right now in the last few years, trying to get better at their finances. 
Uh, God said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And one of the things I always wanted, I wanted my kids in church, not to be religious, not to think that we're something. You don't grow if you're, not, if you're not in church. If you're not a viable, participating, tithing member of a local church, you're not growing. You're dying. Jesus built a church out of hell-bound, thumb-sucking sinners. And we are what scares hell. Most everybody's afraid of it. Well, I hope no hell happens. I hope, I hope no hell. No, hell, hell wakes up crying. We don't wake up crying. Hell wakes up every morning. I guarantee that every morning you wake up, the devil thinks, oh, my God, they're up. Yes, we are. We're up, big boy. What are you looking for? Well, we're looking for you. Uh, we've been told by our, our head that we're to cast out devils, take authority over you, heal the sick, help the poor, help the widows, help the orphan. We're looking for some hell. It's what we do every day. We're looking for hell. My God, it's incredible. What an opportunity we have. We live on a hell-bound planet, and just, there's opportunities everywhere. So don't ever get depressed. But anyhow, I like this scripture. This is Jesus. I'll give you something right here. This is uh, Luke chapter 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, starting in verse 25. Jesus is ministering. Of course, Jesus had enemies. You know, there's people that don't like him. You know, he never sinned once, but he had people that didn't like him. And then you got the religious bunch. The Sadducees don't like the Pharisees. The Pharisees don't like the Sadducees. They know Jesus is popular, so they're, they're trying to recruit him. So they're trying to see if they can sway him to join their group. And they do that by testing him. And so here's what it says, verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. And there's an intelligent individual. It, we could go a lot of places with that. By asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Jesus, if you ever read the New Testament, Jesus always answered a question with a question. He's going to make you do something. Real good. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. Well, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, well, now, who is my neighbor? Now, if you understand something, when uh, the Babylonian captivity happened and Israel got carried away, you know, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, they all, Daniel, they all got carried off, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, when Nebuchadnezzar would invade a country, he took the best of everything, including the people. So he took the boys from the best families, the military families, the business families, the political families. Who are you taking? We're taking the cream of the crop back to Babylon. We're going to put them through a school for three years. We're going to teach them the Chaldean language, the Chaldean religion, the Chaldean history, Chaldean math. If they pass three years from now, we'll send them back to their former country to rule and reign in our behalf. Well, Daniel, that bunch is in there. Now, here's the deal. They took the best. They left the bad. Who'd you leave behind? The poor, ignorant doofuses that we don't want. So they got left behind. Now, I'm not trying to make fun of them. I'm trying to teach you something. Well, eventually, the Jews came back. And, of course, there were some Jews that didn't go off into captivity. They stayed behind, and they thought they were the pure ones. Y'all been in Babylon for seven years. You're polluted. You've been with gods and goofy stuff, learning weird stuff. We've stayed pure. We're the pure Jews. We're the righteous Jews. We're the ones that God loves. They stayed behind. Well, when the Babylonian captivity, when they came back, they thought, no, we're the real ones. You're the half-breeds. Because when they left, a lot of the Jews left behind, they intermarried with other countries, other people. And so they think, no, you're the watered-down perverted bunch. We're the righteous bunch. So the one that stayed behind in Samaria called the Samaritans. And they were always viewed as half-breeds and not worth, you know, spitting on. You wouldn't give them the time of day. So the Jews, the Samaritans, they hated one another. They don't like each other at all. Both think they're right. They think the other one's wrong. So here's what Jesus did. <clears throat> He goes back, and here's what he said. 
He said he told a story. Now this, when you read through the New Testament, you have to watch the wording. Uh, Jesus says here, a certain man. Um, uh, you read New King James, I'm reading New Living. This means this was an actual person, not a made-up person. Jesus told some parables, that's sort of an allegory. He told some stories, no, this is the truth. I'm telling you a true story. So here's what he said, well, I'm going to tell you a story. Who is your neighbor? He said a Jewish man, or a certain man, it says New King James, was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. That was a very bad road to go. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there. He also passed by on the other side of the road. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, Well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, Now you go and you do the same. That's a great story, and I heard it in Sunday school my whole life. But there's also dual meaning to every scripture. There's prophetic bent behind everything. So let me just give this to you. This is thus said, Joe. Don't go out and quote this, but here's what I see. This is a story about the fall of man. Jesus said a certain man, a Jewish man. What he's talking about, he's talking about Adam. Adam had it made. He had everything. He was going good. And he was God Almighty of this planet. Wealth and riches were his. He had good health, good wealth. But all of a sudden, he sinned. When he sinned, he got the dog beat out of him. He got fired from his job, evicted from his house. Kids started killing each other. He's half dead. He's not all dead. He's just half dead. Half dead what? He's dead spiritually. He's been separated from God. Oh, he's still alive. He's going to live for several hundred years, but he is spiritually dead, cut off from God. So it said he's left <clears throat> on the side of the road. It said, by chance, a priest came along. Now, when God picked Abraham, he's trying to create a whole race of people that will evangelize the world. What are you trying to do? Well, Adam lost it, messed it up, been going downhill. We got the flood. We got the Tower of Babel. It's a messed up deal. I need the people I can show off through. I want somebody who will love me and serve me, and through them, I want to bless them so much that heathens will ask you about the hope that's in you. Why are you doing so good? How come every time there's a famine, you get richer? You know, you seem to get blessed. I don't care what's going on. Well, we know God. And that's what he wanted. That's why he picked Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, you start going down the family line, I'm trying to bless somebody. Well, you know, sin came along. They're off down in Egypt. And so finally, you know, they cry out to God. God raises up a deliverer named Moses, even has the Pharaoh train him up. Moses brings him out between two and three million people. And he called them and said, I'm going to make you kings and priests. He still has the same idea. What are you going to do with Israel? I'm going to bring them out, take them to the promised land. You're going to live in houses you did not build. You'll eat from vineyards you did not plant. I'm going to bless your socks off so the world who's going to hell will ask you about the hope that's in you, and you will tell them about me. I'm going to make you a nation of kings and priests. Well, what it says is a priest came by and didn't do anything. What happened to them? Well, you know, they go to the mountain. God says, come on to Mount Sinai, and I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to put my law in your heart. Because you're going to be a nation of kings and priests, and I'm going to put me inside of you. You know the story. They got there to the foot of the mountain. Even Cecil B. DeMille's got it halfway, right? They got there and said, we don't want God. God scares us. We just want the free houses and the free food. 
And so they didn't go get the law. So God says, well, Moses, you come on up here, and I'll just write it in stone. I was going to write it on their heart, but they're a rebellious, stubborn people, so at least I can get it on stone, and you can take it down and give them. So the priests, they rejected it. We don't want it. We don't want to do what you want us to do. We don't want to be a blessing. We don't evangelize. We just want to think about our own thumb-sucking self. Well, then it says a temple servant, which means a Levi. If you read in the King James, a Levi came by. Because when Moses came back down the mountain, you know, Joshua's halfway up waiting on him. Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments. Been gone a long time. And he says, what's that noise? And Joshua's a man of voice. He says, it sounds like war. Well, it wasn't war. They're having a, just a wild triple X-rated party down there. They've made them a golden calf, and they're fornicating, getting drunk. And they go down, and Moses sees this, and he's so angry. He takes the law that they've come to get because God wanted to put him in their heart, but they just didn't want it. Slams them down, and he says, okay, those that are with me, come over here on this side. And only Levi came over. Levi ain't told him, okay, you boys from Levi, get your swords out, and you kill that other bunch. They didn't put that in Cecil B. DeMille's movie because people would have got up and left. It was really gross. So we have the tribe of Levi who became the priest. You go through the Old Testament story. Who said, well, tribe of Levi, they do the sacrifice. They do the offering. They're working at the, at the tabernacle. It says, well, a, a temple guy came by. Who? Well, a Levi came by. What did he do? Nothing. He just got caught up in the law. We're just going to slit throats and let the blood drain. We'll build a fire and we'll let the smoke go up. But we're really not going to change anybody's life. And so the law didn't change. And that's why these are people from the tribe of Levi accusing Jesus, testing Jesus, tempting Jesus. So all of a sudden, we have a good Samaritan. Well, who's that? Well, everybody hates them, dear God. It's a stinking Samaritan. Well, he comes and he gets the guy. Now, let me just read this just briefly. And I'll show you something. And he said, then a Samaritan came along, saw the man, had compassion on him. He soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. Now, if you know anything about oil and wine in the Bible, that is the type of one thing and one thing only. That is the Holy Spirit. You know what you need? You need the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. You need the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you to serve. That's what happened in the book of Acts, Acts 2 through Acts 4. Why did we get the Holy Ghost? Why did we have to go to the upper room and wait? Jesus said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to send a helper back to you. He's going to help you do what I've helped you do, except I'm limited to a human body now, and the Holy Spirit can be with everybody all the time. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit is an earnest. This is an earnest. It's a down payment. Jesus said, I'm going to come back. To prove I'm going to come back, I'm going to give you a down payment. You ever bought a home before? We've been through that. Well, they want an earnest payment. How serious are you, you know? You know, you go buy yourself a $350,000 house, you can't give them a $20 bill. That won't hold it. They're going to want $15,000 or $20,000. That's going to hold it. Because if you don't buy the house, you lose that money. You have to pay earnest money to hold something. So God Almighty in the form of Christ said, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to give you an earnest payment. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit back all in one. He'll be the earnest to prove I am going to come back. I'm going to make a down payment for you. He'll be with you. He'll help you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll talk to you. You let him pray through you. He'll pray the absolute perfect will of God for you every time you pray. I got you a really good helper. You cannot run him. He goes with you everywhere you go. So it says he's going to soothe them with oil and wine. He bandaged them up, and he took them out, put them on a donkey, and he took them to an inn. Now, the inn is the local church. Where are you going to put these messed up, beat up, dogged people? We're going to get them in church. That's where they're going to grow. So the body of Christ grows by prayer, doctrine, breaking bread and fellowship. That's how we grow. If you're not in the church, you're not growing, you're dying. The devil's going to eat you for lunch. We are safe in the body of Christ. Like Pastor said, I have strengths you don't have. You have strengths I don't have. We need one another. So he puts him in an inn, took care of him. The next day he handed the man 
two silver coins or two denarii, it says in the King James, or he gave him two days' wages. So here's two days' wages. Take care of them. I got to go, but I'll be back. Now, we all know what that is in the Bible. A day with the Lord's like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. This is prophetic. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to be a good Samaritan. I'm going to come give my life. People are going to hate my guts, abuse me, stone me, cuss me, and nail me to a cross. But I'm going to give my life. Well, you didn't. I'm going to go home. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'll be gone for 2,000 years, and I'm coming back. Until I come back, the Holy Spirit's going to take care of you, but I am coming back. And if you don't know, he's been gone about 2,000 years. It's in the Bible. Take care of this man and said, when I return, I'll pay whatever's over. Now, which of these three do you think did the best? And of course, he goes, and that's, that's what happened. Now, I've told this story to my kids so many times. I said, church is not a legal thing. God doesn't love you more because you go to church. You grow because you're in church. You're growing. You help other people grow. And so we were talking intently one day in one of these meetings, and we were Skyping. I was uh, down in Chattanooga taking care of uh, family members. And so we're Skyping every morning. And so, Dad, what do you think? And so I said, let me I'm give you. So I'm going to give you five things. I said, why is the local church so important? I said, well, it did five things for me. My wife and I got married. Uh, I was backslidden. I didn't know Jesus from a stick in the mud. Didn't really care. I just wanted to go to heaven. I got Jesus. I'm going to heaven. That's all I want. Well, the longer than I were married, the more we hated each other. I didn't know her. She was good looking and smelled good, kissed good, cooked good. My God, let's get married. And, but when we got married, we had never talked much. We had engaged for a year and a half. We don't talk. We go out and go to a movie, go eat, we kiss. We don't talk. I got nothing to say. Shut up. Puck her up. My God. Let's <laughs> you can laugh. I'm serious. I'm not making serious. So when we got married, after a couple of months, you get tired of hugging and kissing. You know, you just hug and kiss for so long, your lips get raw and you get tired and and we were just sitting there, and we all said, one day we started talking, and the more she talked, the more I realized, I don't like you. <laughs> My God, we should have talked more before we got married. I, sh- I should have met your family. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> and so three years of our marriage, we were ready for a divorce. Well, thank God for the Spirit-filled Methodist invited us to a Bible study, and I rededicated my life to Jesus. And uh, seven days later, I got filled with the Holy Ghost. My life flipped upside down. I did not become perfect, but I did become a spirit-filled saint of God. And I realized the problem my marriage is not my wife, it's me. I'm supposed to serve her. I died when I got saved. It's no more I or me or my. I died. Christ in me. The hope of glory now. Babe, how can I help you? What can I do for you? And we started to rebuild our marriage. And so the kids have heard a lot of our testimony. They're going through. So, Dad, how did it happen? I said, well, guys, it was the Word of God. That very first year when we got back into church saved me and I'm sitting there what do you know nothing I just don't need to get in church I don't go to hell and I need to get I got water baptized three years three times that year they dumped me three times I said I gotta go get it again maybe I didn't go up deep enough now I think my head didn't go all the way under I want to get under good now, now you can laugh I'm serious I wanted it I wanted it bad and so I was listening that very first year to the word of God for the first time in my life because I'm excited I'm here I'm reading my Bible about the New Testament cassette tape fed on it going to work come on my dad thought I was in a cult sent the deacons to my house to get me delivered because I was in a cult. No, I'm just hanging out with full gospel businessmen. I'm not in a cult. I'm just hungry for Jesus. You know, my life's changed. I'm excited about my future. And so the kids said, well, what was it? So I, could, I said, well, I could give you a hundred things. I'm going to give you five things that I remembered that first year when I finally got born again spiritual and got in church. And these are the five things I learned that have changed my life and stayed with me. Number one, I realized that I am not a normal person anymore. I am a spirit, a soul, and a body. So I'll just give you the one scripture for it. First Thessalonians 5.23, I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus. I realized for the first time I'm a three-part being because you ever been confused? Well, I can't hear God. I don't know what he's saying. I don't know. How do you hear God? I don't know. Well, he doesn't talk to my natural ears. He's, he's a spirit. I'm a spirit. My spirit hears God. 
My, my ears don't hear God. My spirit hears God. My spirit cannot sin. I am born again. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm a new creature in Christ. God and I are hooked up tight. But I'm in a body. And my body's damned, the Bible says. It's going back to dust. There's nothing good in it. It'll go stupid if it gets half a chance. So I got my spirit that can't sin. My flesh that wants to sin all the time. Boy, are we having a party. So I realize there's a three-member board meeting. Every time I make a decision, the person that casts the deciding vote is my soul. That's why Romans 12, 2 says, you know, you need to renew your mind with the Word of God. My soul needs to hook up with my spirit so I can make wise decisions so I can live long, live blessed, and be a blessing. So I learned that was one of the greatest revelations. I remember because the guy drew it on a board. I was in a Sunday school class, and I thought, oh, my goodness. I said, don't erase that. And I went up, and I wrote it on a piece of paper. I still have it in, in, my, in my file in my office, and that's 30 years ago. I'm like, what is it? I'm a spirit. I have a soul and I live in a body. My spirit needs to listen to God. So that's why you ever just be sleeping, all of a sudden you wake up and you have a thought and it's a really good thought. You say, oh, that's a good idea. And you go back to bed and you wake up the next morning and say, your spouse says, hey, are you so happy? What are you happy about? Man, God talked to me last night. Really? Yep. Man, God, a great idea. It's incredible. What did he say? Well, it was really good. It was really good. Oh, Denise has got furious with me because I, I only did it three times. I don't ever do it again because I had to learn to keep a yellow pad next to my bed. I had one last night in the hotel. I keep a yellow pad next to my bed every time I go to sleep. Because when God's talking to me, it's my spirit. My mind doesn't remember because he wasn't talking to my mind. He was talking to my spirit. Oh, that's good. You get something, you better write it down. <laughs> write the vision, make it plain. It's in a lot of scripture now. I'm just giving this one. So I realized something. God talks to my spirit, not my mind. My mind needs to be in the Word of God so I can find the Scriptures to back up what He just told me. That's how it started working. Second thing I learned was about a blood covenant. This is just a mess with it. Hebrews 9, 12. Hebrews 9, verse 12. With His own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, He entered into the most holy place once for all time and secured my redemption. I realized I had a blood covenant. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus. When my Father looks at me, he says there's an altar in heaven and there's, flesh, there's fresh blood laying there. Who is that? That's his son's blood. That's why when Jesus came out of the grave, he told Mary, don't touch me. I'm not yet ascended to my father and your father. I've got to take my blood and put it on the altar. Why? Because that's what's going to buy salvation for every human soul. Now, they have to receive it, but it's been paid for. Salvation's free, but it does have to be received. And I realized, who bought me? Jesus. With what? His blood. He didn't deserve to die. He was innocent. When he shed his blood, I'm bought. I'm redeemed. When I twine, if I'm in trouble, I can run boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy and help in time of need. Be like you run into heaven all out of breath. God says, what are you doing here? I just come to hang out. I don't think so. You need something? Maybe. So what did you sin? I don't know. I might have. The Bible says, when you and I sin, we are to run boldly to the throne of grace. Most people that sin, they run from God. They run from church. They run from Christians. Why? Because you got sin. You feel bad. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's eating you for lunch. But thank God we know I've got a blood covenant. If I sin, I can run boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy and help in time of need. Get it off of you. Get it out of you. Get it out quick. But how? Running to God. I realize I've been bought by the blood of Jesus. I'm worth God's son. I'm real valuable in heaven. God loves me. I'm special. <laughs> I'll just say you got to get in deep. Number three, I understood spiritual authority. Now, this is where my family got really messed up. Matthew 16, verse 19. Jesus said, And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Of course, we love the one in Mark 11, 23 and 24. Whoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he says shall come to pass. He'll have whatever he says. Like, well, that's just whack. No, that's spiritual authority. 
Then I like this one, Luke, 6, Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. I realize I'm a three-part being. I've been bought. I got authority. And that's why most people in my family, anything bad that happened, well, God, you know, God took them. God just took them early. And, you know, God just let it happen. We don't know what God's doing. He's trying to teach us something. No, God draws the unbeliever out of his goodness, not out of death, dying, and tragedy and disease. That's a great revelation. I realize God's good, devil's bad, people are stupid. I learned that early. So I realized something. I have authority and God won't make me use it. She said, you'll have to, things I do, you'll do. What'd you do? And I took authority over the devil. I cast them out. I took authority over it. I calmed storms. I have authority. I've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. I have spiritual authority on this earth. But God won't make me use it. And we've all had bad reports. Everybody gets them, man. We've had bad reports from the doctor, from work. You know, what are you going to do? I don't know. I guess God's trying to teach you something. My God, no. I'm getting ready to plead the blood of Jesus. I'm going to quote Scripture and I'm going to back the devil up. I'm going to make him sweat. I'm going to make him hurt. Big boy, it's going to cost you seven times what you take from me. Don't touch me. I'll bankrupt you. And you've got to have an attitude about you. And I realize in the local church, I've been given authority. And you know people that don't know that. They're the, they're the, I've been there. They're the thumb sucker. We just don't know what kind of week we've been through. It's been, hell, we have been through such a hard time. And you just don't know what we've gone through. Shut up. We've all been there. I've been there. And the more you thumb suck, the more hell you will attract. It's like gasoline on a fire. It's going to get hotter. And you think, well, God, I feel sorry for me. He won't. God's not moved by pity. God's moved by faith. So I realized in that first year in the local church, I got authority. I better start using it. So we still do weird stuff. Man, we anoint everything with oil. My God, we plead the blood and anoint with oil. I'm going to have my first grandbaby. It's going great. Just did great. She got up and worked out every morning at 6 to the 8 o'clock before she come to the office, did everything. Man, baby's healthy. She ate right. She'd talk to it. Man, we're doing everything right. We get in there and it's time to have that baby. She's, I think I want to have it on Sunday when you're here, Dad. Be great with me, baby. I agree with you. In Jesus' name, we'll have that baby on Sunday. Sure enough, we get up and go to church. Come home to church, water breaks. Oh, kumbaya. Let's get this thing done. Let's get in here. <laughs> so we go in. She goes in there. And so we're in a really nice hospital. They got the room. So, you know, labor's going. You know, we're up to about five, six minutes. So, hey, let's go. We'll eat dinner. I'll go buy everybody lunch. I'll go to a really nice restaurant. We'll buy lunch. And my daughter's over there, her husband, pushing that baby. And we're eating. So it's going to be great. Going to have a grandchild. We go back over. And all of a sudden, we just take a break. You know, we just take a break. Go eat. We come back. Well, we have bad news. Uh, the, the baby's had a bowel movement in the womb. Now, I've had six kids. I didn't even know that was possible. I didn't know you could poop in your mother's womb. I mean, can you not hold it till you get out? I mean, you know, favorite, he's just like, hold it, son. Just hold it. Well, get it you out. So, all of a sudden, you have a bowel movement in your mother's womb, man. The bacteria's in there. Man, it starts going ugly. The heart rate's going up. Jesse's running a fever. And so, we got a great doctor. He's good. He said, babe, we're going to take this baby C-section. We got to do that now. It's going to get ugly. And so C-sex, no, no, we want to push it out the place it's supposed to be pushed out. No, 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 we don't want to cut nothing. So all that, they're all looking at me. You're the preacher. What are we going to do? So we're going to do what the doctor says. We're going to agree. It's going to go great. We've got a healthy baby, healthy mother. It's not changed a single thing. We're just, it's just, we're just going to get that baby out. And so we went there and just prayed real quick. And I just, I, I'm real upbeat most of the time. You know, I said, hey, praise God, it's going to be great. Get it out quick. Come on, my God. It'll be incredible. She'll have a little scar. We'll do a little plastic surgery. She won't be able to see that scar. Now, you're going to wear your bikini again, but it'll be great. You step be flat, and it's incredible. Well, the baby gets out, and it's great, because usually if you poop, and the poop's under your fingernails, it gets in the ears, it gets in there, breathe it, and like, no poop anywhere, just on his rump where it's supposed to be. Here, have some, have some tissue. Praise God. 
So we had to stay in the hospital next to, you know, uh, six days, you know, instead of a hospital room in 8,000, it was 42,000. Like, Praise God. <laughs> Nothing like expensive poop. Tell me, tell me poop's not expensive. That's expensive poop, buddy. So anyhow, so we found out that we have a really good clause in our insurance policy that paid for everything except $900. Like, yes, you come on, Jesus, amen. Now, the reason I say spiritual authority, you're going to need to use it every day of your life. And I learned that my first year in a local church. What if I hadn't been in church? One God, let this happen. No, one God, because I'm believing God. No, I'm going to heaven. God's just mean. He's mad. He's bad. And I don't know. He's in a bad mood. And I don't He doesn't love us. No, God loves me real stinking good. I'm worth his son. God smiles every time he looks at me. I got that in me deep. Because every time you go through hell, what's going on? Devil, he's a stinking doofus. He's a murderer, a thief, and a liar. We've got authority over him. We're going to make him hurt. It's going to cost you, big boy. You shouldn't have touched us. We're going to plead the blood. It's going to make you hurt. <laughs> Number four, I learned this in the first year of my local church, that words have power. Boy, this was my bad one because I'm verbal. It's my brain. It comes out of my mouth and my brain can even grab it. They just left. And you ever had things go out of your mouth? Like, Whoa, that wasn't good. I shouldn't have left that out. <laughs> boy, that was a greased banana peel. That came out quick. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Oh, my goodness. And I was born again spirit-filled, but I had not got a guard on my mouth yet. And my marriage was suffering because of it. My kids were suffering because of it. I could not get a handle on my mouth. And I realized, well, out of the abundance of the heart of the mouth speaks. What am I saying? What's in me? What I realized, I need to get something different in me because what's in me right now is not good. So I give you these Hebrews 4, 12. The word of God is living and powerful. Well, evidently that's not in me because that's not what comes out of my mouth when bad things happen. Then like this, Ephesians 6, 17, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It is the only offensive weapon I possess. So I made myself get up and start memorizing scriptures. I put them on three by five cards, and I keep them on a little ring, and I carry them with me. What do you need? I need the Word of God. I'm a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body, and we're going to take authority over that. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus. I'm redeemed. I am redeemed. I don't ever, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm bought. I'm loved. God, I don't have to earn God's love. I'm loved. I'm going to plead the blood over everything. We're going to anoint everything. We do it all the time. I go in a hotel room. I anoint the doorpost. I plead the blood. I don't know who's been in there sleeping in that bed. It looks clean. I don't know what's in there. I don't know what's crawling around. Nothing's going to crawl because I, I have been redeemed from the curse law, which is poverty, sickness, and death. There are no mites in that bed. They're going to drop dead if they touch it. <laughs> You'll fall over dead. Don't mess with me. I'm bought by the blood of the Son of God. You can, no evil can come near me or my dwelling or my, or my hotel room. I'm a blessed man. Because people said, don't you worry? And I don't worry about nothing. I roll my cares over in the Lord for he cares for me. If I start worrying, it's going to get ugly. That's going to attract the devil. But I like the word things start watching this. And I watch what I say. So thank God for the word of God. And the last one I realized that first year is God wanted my children to be successful. And that was a biggie because I came from a really big family. So you got six kids. So I realized Psalm 112 said, if I fear God, the light and his commandments, my seed will be mighty upon this planet, says the King James. The New Living says, my children will be successful. Well, I, I need successful kids. I got too many of them for one of them to go stupid on me. <laughs> now, the odd thing about success is if you look that word up, the opposite of success is not failure. I want my kids to be successful. Praise God. Well, the opposite of success is not failure. I'm, I thought, well, I don't want them to fail. I want them to succeed. Well, that's not what the word means. The opposite of success is mediocre. Look it up in any dictionary. My children will be successful. What does that mean? They won't be mediocre. They'll be the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. Everything that touch will prosper. They're going to be famous. Bring honor to my name in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're not just launching normal people. We're launching exceptional people. And I believe that to this day. Who are your children? Well, they're really something. 
They're real successful. We don't do things halfway. We do it. We're going to do it all the way, do it better than anybody else, and we're not going to do it. And so everything we've ever touched, we've kind of put that into that. Now, what I want to do is give you this in closing. I like this. This is, um, you know, you got the scriptures in Joshua 1.8, and I'm not going to read them to you. Pastor's taught them. I've, I've listed this thing before. Uh, Psalm uh, 12, success. If you meditate in the Word of God, where's success come from? Meditating in the Word of God. Where do you keep from being mediocre? Meditate on the Word of God. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Well, you know, if you meditate on the Word of God, you'll live long. You're going to be blessed. You'll be prosperous. From where? The Word of God. So I realize if I want successful kids, I've got to get the Word of God in them deep. We're in a great church. Always been a great local church. I realize as a parent, I've got to start doing something. So I'd make my kids read a Bible. And I bought them all a one-year Bible for years. And, you know, I said, did you read your Bible today? No. Well, read your Bible. I told you to read your Bible. I bought your Bible. Read the thing. Did you read a chapter today? No. Well, you need to read a chapter. Sit down and read something. I'm yelling like some from hell, you know. I thought, this isn't working. So finally, one Sunday night, I thought, I want to change. I'm going to do reverse psychology. So I got them together before we went to bed. I said, okay, I got a new rule for the house. Don't ever read your Bible again. As long as you're in my house, I don't want to ever see you read your Bible. I'm not ever going to buy you another Bible. If you ever own another Bible until Jesus comes, you're going to buy it yourself. I'm not buying you another Bible. Go ahead and get your own. But I'm going to do this. We're going to simplify this. I think you're simple-minded, so we're going to do simple things. So what I did, I went and got some three-by-five cards, and I gave them all their own three-by-five cards. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you one scripture, not even a chapter. I'm going to give you one scripture this week. So I started with the book of Jude, <laughs> and uh, verse 20 and 21, it says this. And it lists all the nasty things in the last days. The last days, you know, perilous times, lovers of pleasure. It's a really nasty list. He says, but you, my beloved brother, need to do three things. Build up yourself on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Walk in love. So I put that on the three-by-five card. I want you to do one of these three things this week. And it was real insulting. They know I'm messing with them. You're not reading your Bible. You're not doing what it says. And you're not going to go in where you'll never be successful. You're going to be mediocre. And you're going to be sad. God never left me. God never helped me. No, because you are a thumb-sucking, lazy, mediocre person. So we're going to change that. So I gave them a card. Here's what I want you to do. Do one of these three things in the next seven days. Just pick one day just to do one of them. Now, number one. It says, build up yourself on your most holy faith. Well, you're not going to be able to do that because you're not reading your Bible. Faith comes by hearing by the Word of God. So we'll throw that one out. You're down to two. You only need one of these two things. Pray in the Holy Ghost. I said, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? They said, what? Are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Can you pray in tongues? What? You pray in tongues? Yeah. When? What? When? I'm praying in tongues Sunday. Yes. Well, that's been a few days. You know, have, can you pray in tongues right now in front of everybody? Yeah, right now. I'll count to three. Just start. One, two, three, go. Oh, evidently not. Well, throw that one out. Or you can walk in love. Sometime this week, help somebody. Somebody drops their pencil, pick it up for them. Somebody needs their books, drop them over, pick up their books and hand it to them. They don't bring lunch, share half of yours. You can lose some weight, give half your lunch away, sow some seed. I said, find sometime this week to do one of these three things. Now, of course, they're mad, and, and I'm laughing. I think it's funny. So they came back the next week. I said, how was it? And this is because this is the next Sunday night. Did you do any of those things? Yes, I did. Well, what did you do? I read my Bible every day. Which one? The one you haven't read in a long time? Yes, I read it every day. Well, praise God. Well, you've got some faith coming. Woo, have mercy. How about you? What? Did you pray in tongues? I prayed in tongues all the time. No, you didn't. I've seen you. You're not praying all the time. Well, I'm praying a lot. No, you're just praying more than you did. Okay, well, I'm praying more than I did. Like when? Well, when I drive to school and when I was walking out in the ball field and when I was eating lunch, I said, well, good for you. You prayed the absolute perfect will of God for your life three months. Now something good's going to happen because you just prayed it out. God bless you. How about you? Did you walk in love? Yes, I did. I shared my lunch two days this week. All of it. Well, you're looking thin. You're looking good. Praise God. <laughs> now, I can get away with that because I'm a father. 
uh, for, for weeks on end, I'd give them a three by five card. And I found scriptures that would have three things. Now I'm not going to read it. It's a whole seminar within itself called Three Things. And I said, I'd find three scriptures. The next one was Micah 6, 8, the second week. And here's your new scripture this week, Micah 6, 8. Three things, O man of God, do I require thee. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. I said, this week, do justly. What's that? Do what's right. What? Do what's right because it's right to do what's right. Don't do what's right because somebody's looking because somebody's always looking. God's looking, the devil's looking, angels looking, demons are looking, and somebody's writing it down because nobody gets away with nothing. Some men's sins are dealt with in this life, some men's sins are dealt with in the next life, but everybody's going to deal with what you've done. You don't get away with nothing. So just go ahead and do what's right because it's right to do what's right. It says love mercy. What does that mean? Be forgiving. What? Be forgiving. Be merciful. God's mercy is new every morning. You know, Peter asked Jesus one time, well, just how many times are we supposed to forgive somebody? Like seven times a day? Jesus said, oh, good Lord, no, no. It's a, you know, like, like 70 times seven, like 490. <gasps> you're kidding. Oh, yeah, you're going to be a forgiving machine, Peter. It's going to be incredible. Change your life. I said, love, mercy, be forgiving, because every time you judge somebody else, you're going to be judged. You sow, you reach. You need to be the most merciful thing walking down the hallway at school. So do just love mercy and walk humbly. Because if you start doing the first two, good things are going to happen to you. I mean, man, you're going to think you're going to grease slide. Man, God bless you. That's right. You're doing the word of God. If you don't watch out, number three will take you out. You better stay humble because pride goes before a fall. So you better stay real humble. God exalts the humble, not the proud. Don't go getting arrogant on me. So every week we'd put these things out. And their life began to change. My kids started reading their Bible. They'd pay attention in church. They realized something. The word of God is alive and powerful. Scares the devil and changes your life. You need to get loaded up. You need to feed on the Word of God every day. So, I came into my office because I've been in Chattanooga for a year, pretty much. Go home about every three weeks for a couple of days. And I went to my office <laughs> a few months ago, and there were cases of these sitting on the floor. It's called Telling Your Child the Truth. And I looked and I said, what is this? And, oh, Dad, those are confession cards. Because every time I don't do the seminar, about three or four times a year, I talk about the three by five cards. Well, people would say, well, you, you got any of those? What? Those three by five cards you gave your kids. No, no, no. They're, they're at Walmart, Walgreens, CVS Pharmacy, you know. Go buy your own. They're real cheap. No, no, the ones with the scriptures. Well, you got a Bible. The, you know, the Guinness will give you one for free and three by five cards at Walmart. Make, make your own. And, and, and I always just get so frustrated. No, you, you learn more by doing it yourself. I'm not going to make you a card. Make your own card. And so Corey would travel every day and say, Dad, they want a card. You're not going to help people. I'm helping them. I've told them what to do. You need to give them a card. Now, now, uh, the book that held up, we got our own publishing company now, Stonebluff Publishing, and Corey's owns half my company, and I think I shared it in January. And, uh, she was only going to own 10% of it because um, God only gets 10%. He gets a tithe, and I was going to start a publishing company. Corey's a journalism major. I need my own publishing company. I said, well, start a company. You get 10%, I get 90. It'll be a great deal. And so we're doing that, and we're about to sign the papers when my wife caught wind of it. She said, are you giving her 10%? Yeah, I'm giving her 10% of the company, man. It's going to be great. She said, why only 10 because it's my company, my material. I poured my life into this for 40 years. It's me. Yeah, but she's going to help you market you. That's right. She gets 10% and help me do that. Well, evidently, you can't do that. That's why you don't have it. You're hiring her. She needs half the company. I ain't giving her half of nothing. She's not earned that. It's not what she's earned. It's what she's going to earn for you. You do talk about seed faith and so on. It's a long story, but anyhow, my daughter owns half my company. Well... You know, there's a lot I can say about that, but anyhow, it's going real good. So I, I come back to the office, and there's cases on my floor, cases of these cards. I thought, what is that? And so I'm like, what is this? And said, so, well, these are telling each other. So where'd you get these at? We made them. Who made them? We did. Who? 
Stoneblood Publishing. That's, those are our cards. What do you mean we made them? We made them. You own them. These are your cards. I didn't make any cards. Well, I did. I said, I didn't tell you to do that. You don't have to. I own half the company. It's my half. <laughs> you can laugh. This wasn't funny. It was not funny. It was a three-hour intense conversation. How much you pay for this? And she told me, like, where did you get that money at? Out of the publishing account. That's my account. No, half of it's my account, Dad. We half and half. And you won't do it, and I did it for you. <laughs> and so she opened him up and said, what is it? Well, I, I simplified it, Dad. Instead of, you know, putting three scriptures, we just do one. I've simplified what you simplified. It's called telling your child the truth. And these are all the scriptures that you gave us, you know. And so, so we go through like, you know, you are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus to do great things. Then the scripture's on the back. You're destined for greatness, not mediocrity. And I said, we're going to give these, we're going to do the parents what you did. We're like, hey, give them one card. Don't hand your kid a deck of cards. Give them one card. Put it in a lunchbox. Put it in a billfold. Sit it in a backpack. Give, hey, you got a week to feed on this one scripture. If you'll feed on one, God will start doing something with it because faith of that works is dead. And all of a sudden next week, you'll want two cards. No, I'm going to give you one a week and you'll start doing what the word of God says. And so, so we started, I said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, we're going to give them away. What? We're going to give them away. You're kidding they, we, we give a lot out of our ministry. We, we, we give more, a lot more than 10%. We sow big time seed. We get ready to sow some more. Praise God. <laughs> well, for about three weeks, we had them on the table, and we'd, I'd hold them up, and we'd tell people they're free. Nobody would take them. Perceived value. So I got mad. I went home the next three weeks, and I'm yelling, of course, see there? All that money down the tube. Nothing. That wasn't God. I know God. You're just publishing stuff. You know, and I'm yelling. She said, no, Dad, we'll fix it. We'll, we'll, we'll sell them for $10 a box. Like that's going to fix it. Mm-hmm. Perceived value. I took marketing. Perceived value. So the next week, we sold them for $10 a box. We had three services, Saturday night and Sunday morning. We ran out Saturday night. We, we ran out all the time. Uh, we bought a year's worth of cards. They lasted two months. We're sold out. So I took her, you did, you did good. <laughs> now, I'm not selling. Now, they're on my table. You can buy them if you want to. You're still better off going to get your three by five card at Walmart and make your own. But I'm telling you, the point of it is, until you start speaking God's word over your child, you'll just keep yelling. You're never going to grow up. You're dumb as dirt. You won't mount the hill of beans. And you're getting everything you're saying, good measure, pressed down, shaking the other, running over it. Life and death and the power of the tongue. Next time you get mad, it's, hold, you stand here a minute. <laughs> You're going to be the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. Jesus' name. Take this card. <laughs> it turned out really good. I realized something. When Jesus left a church, he said the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Which means hell's going to make a run at us. But he promised, don't worry about it. I'm going to give you authority over the devil. You're going to scare him. He's going to run. You're going to make him sweat. So every time hell comes, and hell will make a run, here's the first thing your flesh does when hell makes a run. Well, what did we do so wrong? Nothing. You were just born. The devil hated you for you came out of your mother's womb. You know, I made her run to my grandson like got him to poop on himself wherever he showed up. Like, oh God. He's a good looking kid, by the way. I love him. And we know something. We're destined for greatness. I mean, pastor just repeated, especially the last this repeat. We're destined for greatness. The devil's lied. Started early with somebody, you're an idiot. Man, you're dumb. You won't mount him. And somebody started speaking into us, and the devil made it because we didn't know the truth. We believed a lie. 
The reason you got to be in church is because truth sets you free. I told Anissa, I said, if pastor preached that sermon four weeks in a row, my God, that'd start a revival. That was just great. I'm just telling us, like, and you got to get this stuff in you. This is where we live. But, well, I don't like that church, and I don't like how they sing, and I don't like what they do down there, and I don't like it. You're just a thumb sucker. Bless your heart. we we got a nursery room for you. It's for adults, but we got one for you. We'll put a little <laughs> bib around your neck and give you a binking. Have fun down there, you little thumb sucker. Praise God. And, and as soon as you grow up, we'll get you some meat. Right now, you need milk. Paul said so. I'd like to give you some meat, but you're a thumb sucker. Here, have a bottle. <laughs> We're supposed to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. I say it every year. Every year is going to be a jubilee year. It's been paid for. I claim it every year. This year is better than the last. People that ask pastor said, hey, you doing okay? I said, yeah, doing great. Just had a long year, you know, dealing with mom and talking to doctors and neurologists and just, you know, we're trying to fix stuff, bleeding the blood, believing Jesus. I finally found me a neurologist that believe you can reverse Alzheimer's. I'd like to never found one. He said, oh, yeah, there's, yeah, about 30% of time we can reverse that. I said, you're my new doctor. Wrote him a real nice check. And, buddy, he's making a big difference. My mom's most stable. She's been a long time. She, we were having problems. She was, like, going goof, like locking her up goof. Like, that's not my mom. That's wrong. And I'm binding the devil and pleading the blood, but I needed knowledge. So I found me another doctor. Said, yeah, we know what to do about this. We'll fix this. And we're going to start getting her on stuff, get her off her sugar, put her on some nice alkalinity. He said, my mom's most stable. She's, she's like a, man, my mom's sweet. How'd you get there? We had to bind some devils and plead the blood and pray in tongues and look for doctors. What'd you do? We won. We we're winning. <laughs> you have to fight to win. They don't give you a letter jacket for showing up. They give you one for participating. We are in the body of Christ. The greatest thing God's ever done for us. We get to enjoy this. Let's stand up and we're going to pray. Get you some three by five cards. Just go down to Walmart. They're real cheap. 68 cents. Get you a stack of Whatever you're dealing with is different than what your neighbor's dealing with. The Bible says the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. What you want to do is find what God has promised you because that's what the devil's trying to steal. I mean, you know something? Jesus didn't see the devil until he knew who he was. And when I, if you remember when I was in January, the day Jesus got water baptized, he comes up out of that water and God sticks his hand out of heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The devil came immediately. The minute Jesus knew who he was, what he was doing here, hell showed up. There is no record of the devil messing with Jesus for the first 30 years of his life. There's not one scripture where he ever saw it or messed with him. Why? He's not doing anything. The day he found out who he was, what he was called to do, hell showed up. From that day on, Jesus prayed every morning, prayed in the noon, and he prayed at night. Now, I didn't even touch prayer today because outside these five things, I've told my kids, you better be praying all the time. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. You can pray in tongues. You can go When you're walking to the breakfast table, when you're walking out to the car, when you're walking down the hall, pray in the Holy Ghost to yourself. Don't be weird. Pray the perfect will of God for your life. And God's going to do some great things. I'm so thankful God allowed you and I to be alive in the last days. We may have another 50 years. I don't know. I mean, the calendar's kind of goofy. You don't know what's going on. Our job is to live till we hear the trumpet. I don't even read end time stuff much. What are you doing? I'm working. Till when? I hear a trumpet. I'm gone. Till then, I got stuff to do. Let's just enjoy this thing, man. We're going to have a great time. Amen. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, we are so thankful. You have placed us in the body of Christ where it pleased you. So, Father, help us do what pastors taught us to do. Plug us in deep. Let us be a blessing every time and everywhere. Help us to sow the right seed to the right people, Lord. We're going to be in the right place at the right time saying the right thing. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for 60 seconds. Two questions. Nobody looking. Nobody looking. Two questions. Are you here this morning? Say, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. 
I've never ever asked him into my heart, but God's been dealing with me. And I would like to do something about that this morning. The Bible's real simple. It says that those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple for you this morning. If you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you're standing. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. It's that simple. Or perhaps you hear this morning and say, Joe, I'm saved. I just haven't been living for God lately. My life's not turned out quite like I thought. But Joe, I've been convicted this morning. God has stirred my heart. And I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. I let Jesus save me, Joe, but I have not yielded to his lordship. But this morning, Joe, I'm ready to rededicate my life. I want Jesus Christ not just to be my Savior. I want him to come in and become the Lord of my life and my family and my future and my faith, my finance. Joe, I'm ready for the lordship of Jesus. If that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer. We're going to pray with these other people out of Romans. God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. God will take your sin as far as the east is from the west. God will put your sin in the depths of the sea. And God will see to it there'll be no record of your sin in heaven. It is that simple. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, say, Joe, that's me. I need to get saved this morning. I'm ready to receive Jesus. Would you pray that prayer over me? Joe, that's me. I want to rededicate my life. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. Would you pray that prayer? If that's you on either count right now, would you simply just get your hand up and wave it real good and put it right back down? Joe, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your bonus. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Pray for me. I want to know I'm right with God before I leave this building. Anyone else? This is the easiest thing you'll ever do. God does the saving. God does the forgiving. He just needs your permission. Anyone else before we pray? Joe, I did not raise my hand yet. Please include me in your prayer. Thank you. Thank you right there. I want to know I'm right. Thank you. I want to know I'm right with God before I leave this building. Anyone else? Anyone else before we pray? All right. Hands down, heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray with you. God is going to do the two greatest miracles he can do, save souls and forgive sins. So people, we're going to help them pray. I want everybody in here to say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me. And you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me my sin. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now, Father, for the hands that went up this morning, either for the first time ever or as a reaffirmation of their faith in you, according to their obedience and your holy word as of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They will hear your voice. And the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. Lord, I pray as they leave today, would you surround them with a shield of divine favor? May people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes. And Father, would you bring godly friends into their life that will strike iron cause them to grow up and cause them to be all that you called them to be. We thank you for them. We welcome them both into the family, back into the fold in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Praise God. Give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Pastor. Let's give him a big round of applause.